strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, everybody, this is it. Here we are. Varun, how are you, my friend? I am doing awesome. Good. We're ready for another episode. So ready. Today's guest is a technology solutions thought leader, has a passion for mentoring and creating robust user-friendly software solutions, is awarded number 17 on the Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal's Fast 50, is the CEO at Emergent Software, Jamie Anderson. Ta-da! Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're happy to have you. So we're going to dive right in with our favorite question. What myth do you want to bust? What kind of record do you want to set straight? What bogus strategy is out there that you would <laughs> like to counteract? What do you want to clear up? What do you got? I, I would like to smash the myth of bigger is better. Ooh. I think that that's, a, you know, that's something that we hear a lot, uh, particularly in our American culture, that bigger is always better. And uh, I just, I haven't, I haven't found that to be true. And I, I've, I've found myself chasing after that lie uh, many times in my life as well. Uh, in, in careers and different things. Uh, and I think that there's, there's a different way to look at things. But now let me ask you something. Does it relate to cheeseburgers as well? No, <laughs> just kidding. Tell, tell us a little bit more about, you know, uh, is there a for instance where bigger wasn't better that you're thinking of that's kind of prompted this to be the myth that you'd like to sweat? I think, well, you know, there's, there's some, you know, personal, uh, or, you know, just history and, and things in my career where that was something that I, I chased after, and I always, I always thought bigger's better, bigger's better, and 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 then got there and realized, huh, this isn't what I thought it would be. Um, but I think even like if you think of, you know, think t- take your favorite restaurant or something. Do you do you do you remember those restaurants that you walked into and it was just huge and full of all these people or those boutique intimate, like the food was amazing and the, the atmosphere was incredible. Those usually aren't the ones where there's just, you know, it's, it's this massive restaurant, right? It's the really unique. Uh, they did something that made it really special. I think of, you know, and this one, I could say this example could be debatable, but, you know, I think of like that concert where you went to that like super intimate jazz club and your feet were almost on the stage, uh, you know, with that musician. And that experience is just much different than, you know, being 80 rows back at the stadium, which can also be a fun experience at times. But um, so that, that's, that's, that's the, uh, the idea. And, and as that applies to business, I think that, um, you know, there's, you know, in, in smaller agencies and smaller companies, there's more opportunity to impact culture, to, in, to, to lead, to make customer impact um, than, than sometimes there is in a bigger, a bigger 
machine, if you will. So I, I want to clarify a little more on that. When you say bigger, and because in our business and in our industry's perspective, are you saying going after bigger revenue or going after bigger company size by number of employees or bigger by number of customers that you serve? All of that bigger doesn't matter. Is that what you're referring to here as well? I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying it's not necessarily better, but yes, all of those, all of those things. Um, I've, I've, I've been involved uh, in the sales process with the various different companies I've been with um, where we've called on, you know, the, the smallest of the small companies of the world all the way up to the fortune 500s. Um, and I, I, you know, everyone loves to have those big logos on their, on their line card and it is fun. And sometimes they're doing some really cool projects, but um, a lot of times there's this disillusionment that you get up and you, you get up in working in that size client. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's not as fun necessarily. Sometimes um, the work that you do is not appreciated as much. There's a lot more red tape. It's, it's a longer sales cycle. There's all of these things that, just as I step back and my personal view on life, that isn't necessarily better. I don't, I don't, I don't get anything out of having that logo on our line card. Um, I, I get more out of the personal relationships that we have with our customers and changing business, you know, helping them take their business to the next level and do the things that they do. I think also just internally. You know, my experience uh, previous to, to where I'm at now with Emergent Software was always, you know, I started that company from one and built, and it was always, you know, I remember the, the early on, it was, boy, if I could just get five employees, 10 employees, boy, that would just change everything. And then I'd get to 10 and it'd be like, wow, you know, 20 is really where we want to be. And it just kept moving up and up and up. And we got up over hundreds of employees and it, it, it actually, my, I think my joy and my happiness actually went down um, because there was just uh, a, different, a different feel for the company. Do you think that growth, you know, it's, and I'm trying to formulate the question, like growth is a big piece of that too, you know, from, from big to bigger versus small to big. Do you feel like it's a different... You know, because it's more intimate when you're going from small to big because it, you have more of that direct, it's more of a direct personal impact, I guess, is versus from big to bigger, you're already so many points removed Yeah, that there's less of a personal impact. So you feel it differently? For sure. That, that's for sure a true, a true statement there. Um, I do think, yeah, if you look at just the change from, from very small to even, you know, a little bit bigger, you've, you've doubled multiple times, you know, versus being in a large organization and adding a couple hundred people or adding, you know, whatever X amount of revenue, it isn't percentage wise, it just isn't that impactful or that, that much of a difference. So, yeah, I think there is some truth there. Do you Oh, go ahead. And I can relate to that because I think we have gone through the similar trajectory from five to 10 to 100 to 400. And I can see why you say that if, uh, you know, that the, 
it, it's not that your happiness level is going up as you are growing, right? That the responsibilities increases, the work that you have to do that keeps adding up. I mean, you have more staff under you, more things to manage. Yes, you are getting bigger, you are making more money, but at the end of the day, you are that same man, same person that you were like 10 years ago. So um, I can understand, but from, and, and to Jesse's point, you know, when you talk about the growth, I think it's a different story when you are going from single digit number of employees to double digit from double to three digits, you know, that is when these questions starts becoming more important. And then you need to start thinking like what exactly I'm going to do in, in my life? Like, what is my goal? So yeah. I, I think there's a couple, you know, there's some parallel thoughts with this in that as companies get bigger, oftentimes they try to do more and more things. Yeah. Um, to, to capture more market share in different ways. And, and I think that that's a good thing. It's a good business strategy. Um, however, I think that you have to be very careful to not lose focus on what you're good at, right? So you think about that restaurant, they're super good at, you know, this creating this incredible culinary experience that you come in and people are willing to pay more for that uh, than when they just go to whatever, pick, pick your, your large chain restaurant or whatever. Um, and so as, as companies expand, I think that, I mean, it, it can be a good thing in a sense, but, but keeping that focus on what you do really well um, and being a little bit more boutique, I think at times uh, can serve your customers, can serve your customers better. And I've, I've gone back and forth uh, in, in my career on this idea of like, we're going to do everything and be all things to our customers. Um, and, and you kind of get to that point and realize like, oh, now there's all these, you know, boutique firms who are really good at this one thing that we do, but they can only do that. Um, but they do it really well. And so it's this kind of, I've, I've gone both ways on that of like really, you know, and right now kind of where we're at is really trying to focus and narrow down and be really good at, at the few things that we want to do for our clients and, and not try to be all things to them. And that also means turning down the projects and jobs that you don't want to do that you used to do earlier. You made a lot of money on that, but now saying, you know, saying them no is, yeah. I mean, if you are able to do that successfully, that's an achievement, I would say, because, you know, it, it, is a, it, it is not easy. It is one of the hardest things as a business owner, build, especially building a business. And especially when you started from, you know, basically scratch, when you've started from zero, you know, as you guys know, when, when, when you're small, you're taking whatever you can get and you figure out how to make it work. Uh, but as you've, you know, as you grow and you've, and you're able to kind of bring into focus a little bit more where you're going to specialize and be good at in your target markets and those type of things, you do have to kind of, you know, move some pieces off to the side and say, no, we're not going to focus on that. Um, and actually the hardest thing for me has been going back to customers that we've worked with that have expected that type of work from us and saying, Hey, we need to help you find someone else to help with this. 
right? Because that's that's really hard. You know, they trusted, they, they you know, came on board with you when you needed someone to give you a chance. How do you do that? I think that's something that we don't talk about as agency people enough because, you know, there's a, there's a finesse to it and there's a, you know, to your point within that growth and getting to a point and specializing that seems to be a trend within agencies these days as we're all niching down to being focused on particular things and where we can support and help. Are there any tips or tricks that you have in terms of how you say no or how you pivot that conversation with a client, you know, that you've learned in your career? (laughs) Yeah, I mean it. It's super difficult. I think it's probably one of the hardest things that we have to tackle sometimes. It is. I think there's a couple things I would say to that. I think just, you know, as, as your company and making sure that your leadership and everyone is on the same page and is confident in what you are doing and what you're doing well and knowing that um, there's a lot of business out there. There's plenty of business out there. We just need to make sure we find the right business. Um, and, and how are we going about and focusing on that and being okay with saying no. Even if you know you have one of those down months and things are you know looking like it's trending the wrong way, being able to um, ha- be confident in what in what you're doing. I I, I love if, if any of you have ever read uh, uh, Simon Sinek's Infinite Mindset book. It's fantastic, but it just it really when I've read that book, it really helps open my mind to, to realize like it, there is an infinite amount of business out there for, for what you do. There is, and you just need to figure out how to go out and find that and not to just kind of look through the world in this finite mindset. But I think the other thing that I would say to to that question is I've seen, uh, you know, that process of, of, of going to a customer that's worked with you for a long time. And, and now, you know, they're asking you to do some, the type of work that you, you're starting to say, we're not going to do this anymore. I think there's a way to do that very gracefully. And there's a way to not do that gracefully. And I've done it. I, I've seen it done both ways. Um, you know, where you just kind of, what you don't want to do is, is, is leave them out, you know, uh, on a ledge without any help. Right. So there are ways to say, hey, we're not doing this anymore, but we partner with this company to help our customers that, you know, are are looking for this type of work. So you go out and do the legwork and find that company that you would use for that versus making them do that. Just there's different things like that. And maybe not, you know, just being cold turkey, we're done, right? Sorry, you're out. (laughs) No, it's, that's, that's the, it's generally the, the good advice that I think most of us follow is like, I'm sorry, this isn't a fit for us anymore, but here are three other trusted people, you know, that we can refer out. You know, it speaks to a lot of, I think, small, going back to your original point, maybe, you know, bigger isn't always better, but having a trusted network of people, and maybe this is a point where bigger is better, having a big network of trusted people that you can refer that fit each of those niches, you know, small feeding the big, there's something super meta in that, that we could probably talk about for a long time, but. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, interestingly enough, early on in my career, uh, when I started the company previous to this one, which was very uh, similar in some ways, um, it was right as Amazon was starting. 
uh, and getting going. And, you know, people were coming to Jeff Bezos and saying, you know, hey, I remember at one point him saying, I could, because they were losing money, like quarter after quarter, losing money. And I remember him saying, I can turn a profit anytime I want, but I don't want to just sell books online. And, and I took that and the way I kind of reframed that in my mind was I built out this network of partners and I knew I wasn't going to do all of these different things. But what I wanted was I wanted my clients coming to me and looking at me as this strategic technology partner. And they, so they would come to me when they had questions or had things that projects, things that they needed solved. And they knew and trusted that like, if it was something that we did, fantastic, we were going to do, do it well for them. But if it wasn't, we were, we were okay telling them that. And we had this network of, of, of partners that we could refer them out to and, and, and do it that way. And I liked that because I wanted to always be the cog in that wheel. I wanted to be the center of that wheel. So the business was, was at least, I had an opportunity to look at it, right? It's, it's, I think a lot of that, you know, affiliate partnerships and referrals and, and it's become super popular, especially with COVID and, you know, I, the trend, I don't have the metrics in front of me, but I'm sure affiliate relationships with larger brands. I mean, that's kind of the beginning of it in a lot of ways from Amazon to these other kind of partners. I mean, Canva, for example, example, it's breaking the mold. <clears throat> I'm not sure how they've affected revenue wise, you know, people purchasing Adobe Photoshop or Illustrator or anything, but different medium, self same problem, you need good design work. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they've enabled small local shops to create work quickly when you don't know these larger programs, and then make money off of affiliates and recommending it out. It's just a really interesting small to big kind of relationship there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to ask you, you know, a little bit of what we talked about is around COVID specifically and how that's changed the way we think about the future of business. Um, something that we yeah. talked about prior to this, wanted to kind of ask you at this point as we move on in our conversation, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts or observations yeah. there? COVID is the, is like the question, the 20, 2020, 2021 question that, yeah. you know, everyone's, you know, early on trying to figure it out. There's a lot of unknown. I think that, that, you know, everyone feels a little bit uh, better about what we know now. But you know, from a business standpoint, I, I it's been interesting. I think that, that the, the the first couple of months there was just this um, shock to the system for all, a lot of businesses. Nobody really knew what was going on. So the 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 classic move is stop everything. Cash is king. Hoard you know, cut costs, do all these things. And it, I think in some ways, a lot of businesses started to realize that, you know, okay, it, it wasn't like, we didn't necessarily need to do that. But um, what was interesting from our perspective was that in the, in the business that we're in, in what we do with software development and application modernization. Give us a one-liner. We haven't really talked about what you do. Oh, yeah. yeah, here's a good spot. Give us a one-liner. Tell us sure, yeah. so, so that way it can frame the question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Emergent Software, obviously in our name, we do software development, uh, but it's a, a bigger conversation around uh, software development, uh, data engineering, and cloud transformation is really the three areas where we work and kind of the intersection of that area. So gotcha. uh, 
application modernization is one of the things we talk about a lot. And so what I think uh, COVID really highlighted for a lot of businesses is we saw a distinct, uh, a distinct separation between businesses that had been and continued to invest in technology um, as, as a competitive advantage for their business versus businesses that looked at it as, and this is a classic view of technology is I, I, I don't like it, how cheap can I get it done, that kind of thing. And so I think that what COVID really highlighted, if you look at some of the companies that came through COVID incredibly successfully, were those ones that had that digital platform and had done that work of application modernization. And whether it, whether it was, you know, this, this as simple as enabling their employees to work from home easily, um, or, uh, you know, having those digital platforms in place to actually like accelerate their business uh, in the midst of a global pandemic. It was very interesting, and I think that the, the world and the business leaders saw that, and, and as a result, you know, some of them, I, I won't say, you know, we're a little late to the game, but it drove a lot of business for us as a company, customers that wanted to now have those conversations that we've been trying to have with them for a long time, um, and, but there just wasn't this, like, inflection point that forced them to think about it or to see how other companies were now succeeding because of that. Or even so prioritize it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, from that perspective, I think that COVID is really helping drive a lot of change in businesses and particularly in, in how they interact with technology and invest in technology. Um, you know, I do have some long-term concerns of, of, I know it's changed how we uh, view, you know, coming to the office and, and that whole piece of, of the business. Um, you know, we've always been a very flexible workplace for the, what we do, we can do remotely. So that it really wasn't a, a big change for us. But what does change is that social capital that you earn and that you get with your employees and even with your clients in, in just those in-person face-to-face conversations. It's just, it's different. And I can't, I think we all feel it, but we don't know how to necessarily put our finger on it. So on that, oh, go ahead, Ryan. No, I was just going to make a comment that, um, so COVID has definitely helped many, especially agencies, software companies who are working in digital transformation, you know, you know, help their business a lot. But what has changed is really the way we have been delivering these services. Like I imagine you have been pretty in person most of the time, like in last 15 years or, you know, right. Yeah. This is the first time you are forced to go remote. I'm assuming you had to you know, go 100% remote, just like everybody else. So dealing with that, and how is it going to change going forward is the question of the century now, like everybody is asking and figuring out like, what are you guys doing? How are you managing it? What how does this that change for you? And you you said you yes, you are missing the social capital and that interaction. And it is that that 
you know, talking to somebody in person and looking at their body language and, you know, seeing all those stuff that you don't directly, you know, uh, talk to um, is going to change. So how are you going to approach it? What is your plan? Um, you know, so. Yeah. I, I wish I knew the answer to that question. We, I have some thoughts in my mind and we've talked about it. Um, so, you know, as uh, we're, we're in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So um, as it starts to warm up outside now and people are willing to, to get together outside, vaccines are rolling out, that's helping a lot. Um, I do, I, I've started to have conversations with uh, our team members about, um, you know, what, what, what does this look like? What would you like this to look like? I, I don't have the expectation that you know, all of our employees are going to be back in the office every day, eight to five. This is what it looks like. Um, I don't, I don't know that that world is going to exist, at least not in the near future. I know everyone likes to talk about it. it's gone forever. Uh, forever is a long time. I, I wouldn't say that, but I do think that it's, it's, it's definitely changed how we're going to operate. Um, and I think that we are going to, especially the leaders in our, in our company are going to have to be very intentional and uh, strategic about um, how we do bring people together. Um, you know, the other day I, I, I uh, sent an invite out to our team and said, let's, let's just take Thursday afternoon and go head over to Top Golf and get some drinks, hit some golf balls, and like see each other face to face. Cause it has been, I mean, probably over a year since we've all been together in a space. And I think people are finally opening up to that and it'll, it'll slowly continue to open up a little bit more from that. But I don't think, uh, I do think that we'll have people in for meetings. I was talking to an engineer the other day and he said, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do really well over Zoom and Teams and other, other video collaboration tools. but there's certain types of design meetings, software design meetings, or um, certain types of customer meetings where it's like, we just need to get up on the whiteboard and start drawing and see what organically comes out of that. And so those, those we still do need to have a space for that. So we're trying to figure out what that looks like. I, I wish I had the answer, um, but I think everyone's gonna figure out what it means for their company as they move forward. Well, to your earlier point, it's gonna, put pressure on those folks who are kind of developing solutions for that, you know, cause the urgency and the priority and the ask for it in the market is going to be so much higher to, to solve yeah. that in a cost effective way for the majority of businesses, you know, yeah. to solve that problem leads me to another question around, you know, um, remote working and contractor model and being able to supplement now that we're not beholden to people in our physical area, you know, now that you can hire anywhere, what are your, your thoughts on that? You know, does it open the world up to you guys? It, it, it does a little bit. Um, we have not gone down the path of, of offshore development. Um, in fact, all of our employees are here in, in Minnesota, um, but, but across the state. So we're not, we're not all like, you know, right here within a five mile radius, but um we actually um, last summer started looking at, um, you know, where are some other places around the country that we can hire, but it really had 
nothing to do with COVID. It had more to do with just talent, trying to find talent. Um, and so, you know, we looked at uh, a lot of demographic information where there was, uh, you know, uh, an education level that we felt was needed to do the, the roles that we had. Um, and, and yet, you know, maybe not as many jobs being created in those areas. And so, you know, we were looking at places like Des Moines, we were looking at places like West Michigan. Um, so th those are places near us, um, but, you know, still remote. There's really nothing, I mean, we have contractors that we work with that are in New York City and some down in Phoenix. And so that, that world's, I, I think is gonna open up a little bit um, for us. And, and I think, I mean, I have an employee who when COVID hit, he rolled down to St. Louis to, I think he's with his parents or with someone down there. And he's just been working from there. And it, I didn't even know for two months that that was happening. So, so I think to your point, yeah, that is going to open things up a little bit. It's going to allow people to, um, you know, work where they want to live um, instead of having to live where they work. Um, and I think that's a positive thing. And what we are hearing, oh, sorry. Uh, I was going to make a really terrible joke about, you know, how we took our big, big world to make it teeny tiny now that everyone can get connected online. It was a really bad joke. So I'll let you ask your question. <laughs> now, um, I was just uh, going to comment that on, on your uh, uh, note, Jamie, that um, you are, your firm is getting more open to have your employees go and work from anywhere. I think this is, what we are seeing is also a trend when we speak to other agency owners, you know, um, the way industry in general is heading towards just now because the world is getting more flatter and everybody is able to reach anyone and anywhere. And development in specifically is getting more commoditized, right? I mean, design, Probably not, right? Where you are thinking about creative thinking, you know, um, when there is creativity, then that's that's separate. But specifically, there are aspects of software development that is becoming commoditized. So the prices at which the agencies or you know bigger software companies would be charging is going to get hit when your competitors are going to you know look for better pricing. Yeah. So is that ever occurred to you? Have you guys given a thought on that perspective? Like whatever you charge right now for your services, is that going to stay the same when you see that your competitors are going to, you know, go lower at some yeah. point because, yeah. you know, people are doing that. I think about it every day. It's a, uh, it's a very real thing. Um, and the, the irony is that, um, uh, like US-based development, uh, US-based engineers, the cost, like there's, I won't say there's fewer of them, but there, there's more demand. And, and so the cost for them is going up. So even with without that, your, your margins are getting squished. Um, um, but then when you throw that in, I mean, I have a very good friend who works at a, a competitor here in town and they, they offshore a lot of that. And um, I can't compete. I mean, he's a, he's at a quarter of the cost. So we have to, in some ways, you know, we've, we, we, we've, 
trying to figure out what are our differentiators. I mean, there are, there are still some advantages uh, in the model that we follow in that there are clients that are looking for specifically onshore development and things like that. But even, even that, even that it still is able to get commoditized. Um, so it is a challenge for sure. Um, I think you're right though in the design, the architecture, um, there's still a big value in methodology, develop methodology and project management. Um, so those are all some of the soft pieces of that, that um, so far we've been able to continue to carve a path for ourselves. Yeah. Oh. Go ahead. Did you have one or? Go ahead. All right. Um, so you mentioned your delivery model as a differentiator. Tell us a little bit. You guys do something a little bit different than other people. You know, yeah. I, I believe you, your, your project and staffing base, you do both, which is kind of a unique differentiator for you guys. Yeah. How did, how'd you get there? How does that, how does that work is, you know, the big question, because usually it's one or the other. Yeah, yeah, it is, and and it, it is something a little bit unique about us and and how we got there. Uh, so traditionally, uh, we've been very deliverables based or project based, um, and we still do a lot of that work. That's that, that's a big chunk of what we do. However, what what started happening is that um, sometimes we would we would get brought into opportunities with clients who you know they had they had a development team and they had you know these projects in motion and they had project they had all the structure there they just needed you know pick pick your skill set you know full stack developer they need they needed a java developer for three months to come in and and just help with this team and so for a long time we were saying no to those opportunities but what we realized was that that was an interesting opportunity to get connected with that client and potentially offer both models because what we found was that um, customers sometimes will kind of go back and forth between what they're looking for. Like there's times where they'll come to us and ask for a specific skill set to plug into their team and that, that model is different because they're really, they're just, they're getting that person and they have to manage them, give them direction, you know, uh, do all of those things. Yes, they're generally getting them at a, at a different price structure. Um, and then there are other clients that, you know, or, or even those same clients that would say, I have this project that I just want you guys to take and you bring in your data engineers, you bring in your front end developers, you bring, you put this team that you need, put your project managers over it, develop me the, or, you know, deliver me the solution and follow our design standards and our architecture standards. We, we always do that. Um, it's not a black box. They're involved in our stand up meetings and everything like that. Um, but it, it's been interesting to see customers that have, have wanted both. And we still have a lot of customers who just want deliverables based and that's what they want. And we have some that say, you know what, for right now, we're just gonna use you guys from a staffing based delivery model. But where, what was driving behind that was that <clears throat> conversation around being a strategic partner for our clients. So I want 
our business development and sales teams to be able to go in to our clients that we have relationships with and have these strategic conversations around those areas that we work, software development, data engineering, cloud transformation, and how those all collide. Now, how, how we end up delivering that, whether it's deliverables based or through get, getting them the right people, that doesn't matter to me. I want to be having those strategic conversations with them. And so that, like, I think helped relieve some of the, it, it gave our, our salespeople just a different perspective going in to, to have those conversations with the clients. Uh, so at the end of the day, you know, from that staffing perspective, we really only staff in the areas that we work and where we have expertise. And that's, uh, that's, a, that's a key point because we use the same um, um, hiring method and process for people that we would put out at our client sites um, that we would use to hire our internal people. So we've developed our own coding challenges and different things like that. Those candidates go through that same model and our clients actually have really loved that. So th this, is, this is interesting to me because for, for most of the agencies and, and software companies that we spoke to, most of them do the project-based, right? I don't see many following the staffing-based delivery. And I'm curious, so the reason, so why, first of all, why did you pick that as an option? Uh, I want to know, I want to hear more on that. And then uh, how, I, and I, I understand from the hiring perspective, people, the process of hiring is still the same. So that makes sense. But how does that help you with the overall business goals, right? Is it, you know, because they're kind of, you know, two very different models, but working together i mean how do you make it work because we focus we focus on the conversation the technology conversation and not how the project's delivered and that that's been what we've been trying to uh, drive is having those conversations around application modernization or building a data warehouse for our clients or helping them you know move these workloads up into the cloud um, and and focusing on that conversation People will, they will, are just about every client we talk to is having those conversations in some form or another. Yeah. And some of them have the staff to do that and just need some additional expertise or some help, or, you know, they just want someone to plug into their team. And there's others that say, you know, we don't have anyone that can do this. Can you guys just take this for us? And that's where the deliverables model makes sense. And so, for us, it was, it actually simplified the message because what we're not doing, if you look at like the staffing side of our business, it's, it's, it would be considered very boutique. Like I said, we're only focusing on those areas where we have expertise. Um, if, if you, and I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to uh, speak negatively about any other models, but like if you look at traditional large staffing firm like Robert Half and some of these others that are out there, right, you can go to them and get anything, anyone, anything, whatever. They're gonna they're gonna throw resumes at you faster than you can consume them. Yeah. That's not our model at all. Our model is having this technology conversation with them 
and then figuring out what the right way to get that delivered for them is. And do you then go and hire people after you have understood if you have, if you don't have on staff, I mean, do you do like subcontracting or do we these people always have in your team? Right. So we don't, we don't um, staff out of our project team. Yeah. We use the same process to find those people for the, so, so this team, we don't ever want to cannibalize this team and, and have them right. out staffed for six months. And they don't want to do that. That's not why they came to work for us. Right. And we do a lot of times we will find candidates for our clients and staff them. And then when they come off that project, we'll, we'll pull them into our team because we saw how good they were. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And um, totally, I mean, it's, I see the benefits in that process because one, as you said, it helps you in your own hiring. And two, it helps you keep the relationship with those clients going. Because like that's you. That's why you started doing this in the first place to have right. those, you know, uh, relationships. So I think it goes back important. to trust. You know, it's it's an interesting. Anytime I've ever hired a vendor or been a vendor or been an agency partner for anybody, you're usually the first person that people ask. Hey, do you know anybody who does this? Because they trust you. Like when you ask your lawyer or your accountant, you know, accountants probably are the most lucrative connection for some people in some cases, because they're so, they have access to everything. And so who do you know does this? So you're going to trust their opinion. If you're going to come to you for a tech problem or development challenge or something needs to get built, it's always natural for them to ask you, who do you know? What do you, you know, smart, smart. <laughs> Smart is the end of that sentence. <laughs> um, so I want to I want to shift gears a little bit. I think you have an interesting story, Jamie, on how you got into running an agency. Do you want to um, give us a little bit of a background there? Tell us a little bit about how how you got into this because this is not your first not your first rodeo. Can I say that? Yeah, no. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, it is interesting. Um, so I I. My background, I, I, I went to school at Iowa State uh, University and did electrical engineering there. About halfway through, you know, going to school, I realized, like, I don't really want to be an engineer. Um, and the way I came to that conclusion, ironically, was I would go, you know, work on homework with my classmates and they would be arguing about how to solve this complex math problem. And I just wanted to get my homework done so I could go play basketball. So I just kind of realized like this might not be, you know, like hardcore electrical engineering may not be my thing, but, um, but it did give me that technical uh, grounding um, to really understand and appreciate technology. And so um, I came out, worked at a company here in town after college uh, called ADC Telecommunications. They don't exist anymore, but, um, and then started doing my MBA at night after work. Um, and then I, during, throughout all that, um, the company that I was at, they closed our plant. I was going to school at night. And so I started this uh, consulting company called Emergent Networks. Uh, and I was doing that during the day. So similar name, different company. Um, but as part of Emergent Networks, we always had um, a software development piece of that business. And so it started off, we were doing, actually I was doing a lot of the software development early on. Um, and, um, but we did a lot of infrastructure networking, 
data center work, stuff like that. And so as that company grew uh, and I was able to, to build that company with uh, my father actually for, for many years, uh, which was really fun. Um, but as that company grew- I'm sure there's uh, some good stories with that, working with your dad. I'm, you know, that's, that could be a whole separate podcast that we talked yeah. about. How do you work with family? That's episode <laughs> two, yeah. Episode two. <laughs> right. So, so um, as that company grew, what, what I kind of discovered was the, the, the rest of the company was growing and we had this really great team of developers and we were doing great projects, but it wasn't, it wasn't growing at the same pace of, of this other, other piece of our business. And so about six and a half years ago, I uh, approached uh, my partner in the business here today, uh, one of my partners, um, Mark Bajima. And uh, I had worked with Mark. I had known him for a long time. He had done uh, work with us as a contractor at Emergent Networks. And I just threw out this idea of, you know, what if, what if we were to roll out this piece of our business? He had uh, clients and, and, and kind of um, build a software development company focused on software development, cloud, um, data, all things digital, and not, not so much like the reseller integrator kind of business, which is interesting because the two businesses are very, or the, it, it, they're very complementary in a lot of ways, but, um, but they just had a different culture, a different ethos. And so um, he, was, he was open to the idea. <clears throat> and so we did that um, six years ago, April 1st, actually. Um, so a lot of our clients that we've worked with go back, you know, 15, 18, almost 20 years now. But, um, but as a company and as the agency that, that we're running now, it's, uh, it's been six years as emergent software. So um, that's, been, that's been interesting. It's been fun. So then I, I ended up selling that business um, a, a three or four years ago and, um, and have, been, have been running this one uh, and spending my time here. Interesting piece about our business as well is that um, we, one of the things that we wanted to do from the start of, of, the, of the business was, you know, we do a lot of consulting and project-based work, but we wanted to essentially take that uh, the profits that we get from that and drive some of our own product development. So we do have a product, a SaaS software as a service-based uh, product called Innovative Mentoring that we, we own and develop and we have a team of people that run that. Um, but it's a, it's a cloud-based mentoring software for organizations that uh, it helps manage that mentor-mentee relationship. Um, and it's very specific to youth-based mentoring. So we work with like big brothers, big sisters in New York City and different clients like that where um, they're matching mentors and mentees. Cool. Now let's talk about the next steps, the growth, the future of the agency. You know, what are what are some of the plans there? You know, we've talked, usually we'll ask about superpowers. We've talked a little bit about that already and how you guys specialize and how you got to where you are. We've talked a little about your staffing model, you know, and some thoughts around that. Let's, you know, we've talked about COVID and how that affects everything. Um, you know, where do you, where do you see the growth? What do you see as the next step? Is it exploring, you know, additional contractor type work? Is it 
expanding what you're offering? What, what are you thinking? Jamie already said he doesn't want to go big. So right. we, uh, growth doesn't mean big <laughs> for him. Yeah, so you know, what, 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 what else is growth for you? Or you know, yeah. what is the definition of growth? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. And um, it, it, one of the things that we have talked about as a leadership team is what is that size that we want to get to, right? And, and is it, you know, 100 people? Is it, is it less than that? Is it more than that? What, what is that size? Is it a revenue size? Is it an employee size? Um, and and, and that, that evolves. I think um, <clears throat> growth is, is important in some sense um, because it, it is a metric to show that you're doing something right generally, although you can grow your revenue and be losing money hand over fist. Um, so yeah, what is the growth metric that we're looking at? I think for us, it's about controlled, um, consistent, regular controlled growth versus, um, you know, doubling our company every year and, and things like that. So we just want, amidst all of that, What's important is number one, maintaining our culture that we've developed and number two, uh, maintaining the quality that we're delivering for our clients. So I'm not opposed to growth. I don't ever wanna give that impression. I just want to make sure that it's done in that context because there are opportunities that will come at you that will allow you to, to you know, do this hyper, hyper growth. Uh, and, and those are, it, it can be fun, but it, you, you have to make sure that you have those other pieces in check or all of a sudden you'll get to the other side of that and you'll be like, where do I work? This is not where I signed up to work, you know? Culture's so, different, quality's different, all of that. So you, you won't believe this, but, you know, we in our company, we are we are going through the very similar phase, and I have partners too. We have very opposite views on growth, right? I hope he's not listening, but even he feels like you know. Um, I I'm totally like I'm thinking exactly like you, and I may want to you know get back to you on that after the podcast. I would pick your brain on that and just brainstorm that thought process because I totally agree that for me, growth is not the numbers. It's not not higher number of employees or revenue. I mean, I think stability and values and building culture, um, those are the things that can attribute to your growth as well. Because so what we settled on for now was, let's do profitability as our growth metric, you know? So what does that mean? It doesn't mean higher revenue, it just means optimizing your costs of goods produced, yes. right? Just optimizing your expenses, optimize the way you deliver and you build something. That's all you focus. If you focus on that, you know, you will be growing. You don't have to have 1000 people company, right? Yeah. You can stay where you are but, and be happy. Everyone can, can make enough money if you are making more profit. So yeah. anyway, so that, that's just my little rant on that, but... Um, it's actually very similar to, to our approach uh, right now is focusing on, you know, how do we become more operational efficient? How do we, how do we do what we do better and grow the bottom line versus necessarily like adding, you know, a thousand new clients this year. And also, uh, you know, a, a, maybe a bit of a different type of growth metric is growth in thought leadership. 
uh, growth in mind share of clients um, in that we want in, in, in the areas that, that we work, we want to be known as the expert. So what if we focus on growing that, which will then hopefully drive more of the type of business that we want, allows us to say no to more of the business we don't want and grow the, the area that we want to be the best at. It's, mm -hmm. it's just, a, it's a different type. It's not focused on the top line number necessarily, but I think it, it can flow a lot more to the bottom line. It's a traditional brand metric in, you know, marketing organizations, maybe not agency world, they're coming from a marketing background. Brand is one of the hardest thought leadership brand awareness is one of the hardest metrics to measure because how, how do you do it? Right. You know, it's, it's the, the, the challenges out there. Is it a combination of social plus press plus, you know, mentions plus, you know, it's just a, or is it based around activity metrics? It's such an interesting healthy way to look at growth and ownership of a category in some ways. And, you know, I think another thing that you guys talked about briefly, but I want to interject and you said it earlier in the conversation is social capital. So the idea of maintaining humans and, you know, churn within employees and the happiness quotient that goes with it and how right. that gets measured and, you know, quality of life, you know, within a working environment is something that we never talked about five or six years ago or even two years ago, pre-COVID. And now yeah. it's, it's like top of mind for, I think almost everybody who's come to the podcast with us too. It's, yeah. How do we keep my employees happy? How do I maintain this? You know, cause the standard ways of measure there aren't, can't go out for beers. I mean, you could, it's warmer out now in the States anyway. So yeah, um, it's yeah I, you know, you, you mentioned something that's really, really near and dear to my heart is just um, the, the quality of life for our employees. Um, I had something happen to me, you know, boy, it was probably almost 10, five or 10 years ago now, but um, it meant a lot. It made a big impact on me in that. Um, so the very first salesperson I ever hired at my, at my original firm, um, he was an older gentleman. I think he was probably late fifties, early sixties when I hired him. So here I am, this young kid, you know, managing this like seasoned sales rep. And, um, and he, he ended up finishing out his career with us. Um, I kept prolonging his retirement and getting him to give us one more year and things. And at, at, on his, on his last days, he, he said to me, Jamie, this is the best place I've ever worked and you're one of the best people I've ever worked for in my entire career. And this is a guy who's been working for 50 years at this point. And that meant so much to me. And it, it really kind of, I started to understand the value of longevity within a company and employees that really, I mean, even those first couple of years, it's really hard to kind of like, it just takes a while for employees to become really productive and really part of the culture and really, you know, find their place in the company. And so like this, you know, a lot of times you'll see this like two or three year churn and then the employee moves on and do that and, and creating an environment where employee stops and looks around and goes, Oh, this is, there's something different here. Like I want to, I want to 
you know, put my tent stake here and, and, and be here for a while. Mm-hmm. That's su- there's a ton of value in that. And I'm really glad you brought that up. Well, the average employee stays for two and a half years, which is crazy to think about, you know, it's, I, um, it's top of mind for me. I got a call from an old employee, you know, I, I managed many a junior person over the years and he's no longer junior. You know, he's been, I would say 10 years working, give or take. And it was one of the best compliments. And I thought about it afterwards. He called and he said, you know, I'm trying to, he was calling for some advice. What do I do next? Where should I go in marketing? You know, I want to manage my career a little bit better. And so we had a really nice conversation and he referenced a lot of cultural impact from when he worked for me on how we structured things within the organizations. And he's looking for roles that allows him to do that. And it was like, I'm listening to your story and I'm like, it's the same, it's kind of the same thing. It really, you forget how big of an impact you have as a manager on somebody's life for that long, their whole life and thinking through, you know, and it's, it's just, I think that's something that we've, I'm going to say it. It's something we've forgotten as a culture for a long time. And going back to that and COVID in particular has forced us to really see that as a value and having so many conversations about not sitting in the car for, I don't know what the traffic's like in your neck of the woods, but we're outside of Boston and it's, uh, one of the worst in the country, if not the worst in the country after DC. Um, so it's a consideration when looking for, you know, if you're looking for an employer, how long am I going to be in the car? How, what, what highways do I have to sit on? And I don't, I'm sure I, Varun, I don't know how you feel about it, but like, I don't, I don't ever want to drive into Boston again if I don't have to. I live less than 20 miles away and it takes me two hours. That's it. You know, but it's the quality of life compared to working with good people, chatting with good people, like all of these values that we've been missing for so long have been able to bubble back up, I think is how I'll describe it. So that social capital piece, I just, I love that there's a term. I feel like that's the hot buzz term right now is Mm -hmm. social capital. So, well, Jamie, this is a pleasure. Um, is there anything else we should have asked you that you didn't that you want to share as we kind of wind our conversation down here? I feel like we no, touched I've, on all the big things. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of fun hanging out with you guys. So I appreciate you having me on. This has been fun. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I have one final question before we kind of wrap up. You know, right. as an agency owner, what's your biggest challenge? What keeps you up at night? It's the one thing that you're like, yeah. Um, Ending with a hard one. Sorry. uh, (laughs) You know, for, for us, we're a very, um, and I'm, I'm, I think there's a lot of firms like this, but we're very people centric, very customer centric people first. And so, um, you know, it, finding high quality talent and maintaining the quality level of the products we deliver is so challenging and, but yet so important to, to, to me as a leader of the firm and to, to the leadership of our firm. Um, because that's really, you know, we, we had that conversation about thought leadership and brand and, and just people understanding, uh, you know, coming to you because they know that you guys are the experts and, it, you can lose that so quickly. You can lose trust so quickly and it takes years to rebuild. And so that's, that's something that's always top of mind for me um, that I'm always thinking about when, 
you know, every project doesn't always go perfectly. So when it doesn't go perfectly, how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we address that? How do we, um, you know, work with our customers through that? How do we coach our employees through that? Um, those things are really, they're hard to do and they're hard to do well. And um, it's something that we're always working on to do better. It doesn't surprise me as your answer <laughs> based on the conversation today. Well, yeah. you know, thank you so much. Um, where people can find you, this is the list that I have. So you're on LinkedIn. Yep. You're, you know, Jamie Anderson too, I think is your URL specifically. Uh, you're on the Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, Jamie and 78 and then emergentsoftware.net is your website as, uh, you know, for those listening, wherever we'll have them all listed under the podcast. So, yeah. um, thank you so much, you know, yeah. you, Varun. so thanks. That's it, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something today. If you did, please tell someone about the podcast. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.